Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, episode 24. I'm Mike. And I'm Ed. And you are listening to our Sharp X68000 Spotlight. What a mouthful. Yeah, this one is going to be one of our less common episodes, I guess you no. could say. I thought everybody had one of these yeah, things. Yeah, no. The Sharp X68000 was a Japan-only, I guess they called it a workstation, was the official name for it. It was originated as a computing system for both office application and for gaming. But the number of games and the popularity of the game started growing so high that it really almost became kind of a dedicated gaming system over time. So tons and tons and tons of games were made for it. It was produced from 1987 all the way up until 1993. So it had quite a lifespan and it kind of grew over time. The reason it was called the Sharp X68000 is because it used the Motorola 68000 processor in it. Now, that might sound familiar to you if you're a little familiar with the technical specs of some of the consoles that you may have owned over the years. It was available in the Genesis. The Genesis used a 68000 processor, as well as the Neo Geo, the Amiga, the Atari ST had one in there. So you're telling me that the Sega Genesis, which was very well known for blast processing, the Sharp X68000 also had blast processing? No. <laughs> it's Japanese only. So you have to do some okay. English. Okay. It was brass processing oh, okay. in the Sharp X68000. Gotcha. And we'll be running into a lot of English in these game titles yes. and some of these game uh, song titles as we go throughout the show. A lot of it is pretty interesting. So also of note, the Capcom arcade systems, the CPS-1 and CPS-2, also used the 68000 as their base chip. When you look at the games on the 68000, you'll definitely notice in the color palette and the resolutions, uh, everything looks very similar to the way a Genesis would look, but because it was a computer system, because it was a little more beefy, uh, a lot of the games move a little faster, might have some bigger sprites. Uh, the X68000 had the processing power to do software sprite scaling. So like similar to Mode 7 on the SNES, you would get sprites that scale in and out and some cool 3D effects on the X68000 that you really wouldn't see on a Genesis unless you had a coprocessor in there like the Virtua Racing Kart that was 10 times the size of a normal cart. See, Sega should have jumped on that and just been like, yo, let's take the Sharp X68000 and make it into a home console. That would have been pretty cool. That would have been awesome. Yeah, have a dedicated X68000. Sadly, that did not come to pass. The music as compared to the Genesis also sounds very similar. Yep. The X68000 used the YM2151 chip, otherwise known as the OPM, while the Genesis used a YM2612 chip. So they were both Yamaha FM synthesizers. There were some differences, but I'm not gonna get too geek speak on that. Um, All you need to know is that YM still stands for your mom. Yes, yes. and Yamaha. And Yamaha. <laughs> <laughs> So the X68000 also had an extra OKI MSM chip in there, which basically held sample information. So you'll notice in a lot of these songs that the drums are especially very beefy, and they sound much more beefy than would be on the Genesis because the Genesis's sample chip it wasn't as powerful as the one in the 2151. You're talking about all this beef, man. I want some beef around. This was a beefy little system, dude. It was a beef around system. Um, originally it only came out with a 10 megahertz processor, 
and it only had one megabyte of memory. It's not very much. No. So a lot of the very early games for the 68000 were kind of very simple, maybe even like pre-master system quality games. You know, very, very simple arcade -y type stuff. By the time the system finally was retired in 1993, it was up to a 25 megahertz processor and it had four megabytes of RAM. So compare that to the Genesis with a six megahertz processor and you know, it's almost like four times as fast as a Genesis was. Mm. So the games towards the end got really, really cool with excellent graphics, excellent animation, huge sprawling worlds. There's a lot of really cool stuff that came out. So we're gonna kind of run the uh, the gauntlet here from kind of more of the simple games to more of the later, very fancy enhanced games. Sounds like a plan, Stan. Yeah, so you wanna jump into the first song? Sure, Stan. All right, stop calling me Stan. <laughs> I'll start calling you Marv. Marv. I don't know. It just kind of seems to be the equivalent of Stan. Stan Marv. Yeah. Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio. I'm your host, Marv. And I'm Stan. The first game we're doing today is Cho Ren Sha 68K, which roughly translates to Ultra Fire 68K. And this is a vertically scrolling shoot 'em up. And no, this system doesn't have shooters. Dude, this system has like 80% shooters yeah. on it, which which kind of reminds me, if you guys are interested in seeing video and like small reviews of some of the games that we're going over today, you should really head over to YouTube, check out GameSack, their channel. They did a fantastic video on the X68000. It's almost 40 minutes long, so set worth aside it. a little bit of time. It's worth it. But they really go over the system, they actually show you, you know, they have one on video and they, they show you all the stuff that comes with it and they do a lot of really cool little introductions of the games and the music. They go over a lot of stuff. So we kind of use them almost as an inspiration for some of the songs, but then some of the other songs we, we found ourselves. But big shout out to GameStack for doing a fantastic video on this system. It was yeah, really cool. It was very good. Uh, Chorin Shaw 68K came out in 1995. So this was even after the 68,000 had been discontinued. It's a really, really fast paced vertical shooter with really, really incredible music. The sprites on the screen are super big. It's kind of simple in terms of the background, but the gameplay, I think, is really the focus on this game. It's just, it seems really, really well balanced. It's not too hard. It's not too easy. It just kind of keeps you going the entire way through. I really enjoyed it. Have, have you ever played this one, Mike? Uh, yeah, we kind of sat down and played through a bunch of X68000. This was one of the ones. We played so many yeah. games at my house that night. I don't yeah. remember which ones. Most, we... Mostly shooters, but yeah. uh, we, we had a lot of fun with uh, with most of the games. They were all pretty cool, pretty interesting. Um, most of the games are very arcade-y, yes. which I'm okay with, but I think it just kind of was like, all right, this is cool. Yeah. What else you got? See, this you is know? my bread and butter. The pick yeah. up and play, shooting games, you yeah. know, some fighting games here and there. I like the ones that you can just kind of pick up and smash a bunch of dudes or shoot a bunch of dudes or do them in the justice, whatever you want to <laughs> Do those dudes in the justice. Yes. So the composer of Shoren Sha 68K, his name is Ruzarin Kashiwagi. And we are lucky enough that our dear friend Aaron Hickman, who was a guest on our show, part of the Retro Obscura podcast team, actually did an email interview with Kashiwagi. And unfortunately, the responses he got from his interview came back too late for him to go over on the uh, on the, the episode of Retro Obscura that they were going to put it on. So we're happy with his permission that we were able to do you know a couple of excerpts 
from the composer and uh, kind of give you a little bit of an insight as to how the music for Shorin Shaw 68K got composed. So Aaron asked what his musical background was and he responded, when I was a kid I didn't have the money to buy music so I listened to gay music that I recorded at the arcades and from my Famicom at home, which is funny because that almost completely parallels me because that was what I would do. I didn't have a lot of music when I was growing up, so I would record video game music. He really liked Namco's Rally X, which was actually one of the first arcade titles to feature music That's right. in yeah. it. So he started in high school making his own original music for the X68000, and he sent it out through the computer's network system. So it was just a modem and a phone cord at that point. Um, they had like BBS's set up, so it was yeah. kind of a local connection from point to point. The creator of Choren shot Famibe no Yasin kind of took notice of his music that he was putting on these BBS boards and basically gave him a job creating the music for the game, which is really cool. That's pretty awesome. Um, he talks about his influences a little bit. He says, the person I received the most influence from was Yuzo Koshiro. He really enjoyed the Ease series in Sosarian, and he listened to the Schemes music more times than he could count which is right on the money there. Mm -hmm. And he really, really enjoyed I'll Save You All My Justice. So he was doing them in the justice even before we were. I will save you all of my justice. <laughs> so he also listened to some of the songs. He listened to Iron Maiden and a lot of metal back then too. So that's kind of how his influences were both Eurobeat and metal. He had some hard rock stuff going on. He really liked Viewpoint and Battle Garega for the Neo Geo. Maiden were huge in Japan. Yes. They, were they toured there all the time. Huge in Japan. They're my favorite band of all time, of course, as I said before. But, yeah. So yeah. you guys have something in common? We have something in common. We yeah. should go to Japan and hang out with Kashiwagi. We should. Yeah, we could talk Chill. about Yuzo Koshiro and Iron Maiden. We could do each other in the justice. <laughs> That's just so wrong. <laughs> so Aaron asked what his favorite track was from Shoran Shah, and uh, he'd have to say Pleasure Ship, which is the stage three theme, which is really good. But then he goes on to say that when he listens to the last boss theme now, he's a little embarrassed to say that it sounds a lot like Castlevania. And that's actually the track that we're going to be playing. It's yes. called Impossible One. And you can tell the Castlevania influence because just like we played on Secret Ties right. on the Unreleased Gems episode, it starts up with this very kind of staccato keyboard, uh, bloody tears mm -hmm. style. And then the Yuzo Koshiro influence kicks in, and the beat sounds straight out of Streets of Rage. <laughs> it's almost so it's like Castlevania of Rage, or Streets of Castlevania. So, uh, Pretty wacky. Yeah. It's, this is definitely one of those songs that you listen to, and you, you predict that it's going to go a certain way, and then when it does this like 180 turn, you're just like, wait, what? Yeah, you're like, expecting <laughs> cathedral Baroque music, yeah, and all yeah. of a sudden you get... Hip hop. It's really, really cool. It's cool. Uh, it starts off with these cool sirens that, like, a lot of the treasure games used to use in their vertical shoot 'em ups, where the alarms go off when bosses come in. Um, it's actually part of the music. It's not a sound effect, so it right. does stay in when we put the music in there. If you want to learn more about Ruzer and Kashiwagi, you can visit sunnyfield.org which is kind of his homepage. He's got some music on there. And then he also has some stuff up on Bandcamp at loserkashiwagi.bandcamp.com. <laughs> That's how he's credited in the game is Loser Kashiwagi. Loser Kashiwagi. Yeah. <laughs> That's horrible. So, you know, bad for the guy. He's a little down on himself. I don't know, but he's still doing cool stuff or, today. Or so. maybe that was the name that the producers gave him. Maybe. What's that guy's uh, first name? I don't know. Let's put him loser. We're going to hire you out of nowhere, but he's just a loser. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> So anyways, let's get on with the music. This is Impossible One, the boss theme from Chorensha 68K. Enjoy. 
You're watching the Pixel Team Shopping Network. Here's your host, Wink Barfield and Mickey Simon. Hi, I'm Wink Barfield here with my pal Mickey Simon. We're going to tell you about the amazing new next-gen system from Sharp, the X68 Million. That's right, Wink. The X68 Million is a direct descendant of Sharp's super popular Japanese workstation, the X68000. They've added more power, more features, and more wow than ever before. What's in this thing, Wink? I'm glad you asked, Mickey. This baby comes standard with a 160 gigahertz processor. That's over a bazillion D times the speed of the original. You'll be able to play games at 600 frames per second at resolutions of 640,000 by 480,000. My eyes are bleeding just thinking about it, Wink. But visuals like that mean nothing without equally amazing sound, right? Indeedly do, Mickaroonie. The Sharp X68 million allows you to daisy chain up to 32 separate MIDI devices to its serial port, providing you with 256,000 channels of quadraphonic, high definition, 72,000 hertz audio. It'll sound like a full band is inside your eardrums, trying to claw themselves free. Now my eyes and my ears are bleeding, wink. Fantastic. <laughs> Games built for a system like this must take up a lot of memory. How did they solve that problem? Well, Mixter, the original system used two floppy disk drives to load its games. Sharp understands that today's games need full motion video, voice acting, and jiggly boob physics. To accommodate for this, they've added 320 floppy drives to the front of the unit. Now the memory capabilities are almost limitless. Please note that some games require over 1,000 floppies, so some disk swapping may be necessary. Wink, I am truly amazed. The X68 million truly is a game system of the future. Right again, Mixilla. We'll be back later with even more fantastic Sharp X68 million features. Stay tuned for more awesome stuff right after Mike and my dad talk about old, boring video games. Welcome back. That was Etoile Princess. Correct, you said it right this time. Yes, also known as Star Princess. Yes, so it's French. Does it mean she's Princess of the Stars, or does that mean she's a star, but also princess? Well, the game is an overhead action title. It's right. mostly in Japanese, so yes. I can't understand the dialogue, unfortunately. But I know the weapon she uses is a little wand with a star on the end, and she right. shoots little stars at people. So I assume she has some sort of star power. It's funny because you're going around in this game fighting all these like goblins and like you know there's some cutesy enemies like blobs and stuff like that and like little moles that pop up out of hills and stuff and and soldiers and rock monsters and all sorts of weird stuff but just it's so the character is so cutesy and and then all these other characters you get are also super cutesy so it's like even the bosses are kind of yeah everything's cutesy. really super cutesy in this yeah. game yeah. I just think that's the style that they were going for, super chibi anime style. And uh, so the whole point of the game is you are going through and uh, when you beat a boss, you unlock, I guess you could say a helper buddy or another character. Another playable could, character. Yeah, yeah, basically that you could play as, you could switch back and forth between Almost Mega characters. Man style. Very similar, yeah, except instead of getting power-ups, you're getting people. Yes. With different abilities. Yeah, so it starts off very basic. You're just running through the level, shooting guys, trying to make your way out. But as the levels progress, you start needing to find switches to hit to progress yourself further in the game. The enemies get a little more difficult. You get different magical powers. So it's a lot of fun. It's pretty deep for a X68000 game. Now, there are a lot of 
pretty in-depth RPGs, but the action games for the system seem pretty topical. You know, your standard fighting game or your shooting game or what have you. This one is probably a little bit longer and a little bit more involved than most of the other action titles that you're going to see on the system. Yeah, it's stage-based, so you're going through stage by stage playing through it's not like an rpg sort of or i guess you could say maybe in like an action rpg so to speak you could you can collect items and all sorts of stuff like that yeah the music's pretty good uh the soundtrack was composed by hiroki segusa 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 s-a-e-g-u-s-a yeah segusa hiroki segusa and uh what's kind of significant about this soundtrack is that which is one of the other benefits of the X68000 being a computer system is that you can add things onto it. So the system had a capability where you can hook up MIDI modules, uh, which stands for Musical Instrument Digital Interface. And basically it was used for attaching a keyboard to write music using music application programs. And it's pretty much universal. It's still used today even with common you know, Windows systems. And so what they would do is you could embed MIDI instructions into your game. So when you hooked up this MIDI module, you could have those instructions go through the MIDI unit and then you would get enhanced audio from the game. So this particular piece used the vermouth enhancement, which is basically means that there was a Gravis ultrasound MIDI card embedded into the system. So it was both MIDI and the FM synthesis from the YM2151 playing at the same time. Wasn't vermouth like a drink? Yeah. You can use it in martinis to make a dry That's martini. What I thought. Yeah. 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 It's just, you know, what they called it at Did the time. I... So, uh, yeah, that was one of the um, little enhancements that you could do. You could also do uh, pure MIDI soundtracks as well, not using FM at all. We'll kind of go into that as we go on with, with the show. However, Hiroyuki Saigusa has a really, really kind of famous history. He, he went on to do a lot of really cool stuff after he made this game. A lot of stuff with Square Enix. Yeah, his first game was a visual design position in which he worked on Mugen Senshi Valis 2 for the X68000. Then he went on to do Nios. A Twilight Princess came out in 1993 and he did the story for that as well as the music. He went on to do a game for the same system called Geograph Seal, which uh, hopefully you'll take a check or you'll take a look at the GameSack video. This game looks incredible. Mm -hmm. The first thing I thought when I saw it was this looks exactly like if you mixed the graphics of Star Fox on a 16-bit system with the gameplay of Jumping Flash mm. for the PSX. And so it's very, very smooth, very kind of free-roaming 3D environment where you can jump higher than the buildings and land and shoot enemies everywhere you go. Segusa worked on that game. He also went on to do Jumping Flash and Jumping Flash 2, then did some Ghost in the Shell uh, work for the PSX, Front Mission 4 and 5. He worked on Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Uh, Lord of Arcana as the director, and then went on to do uh, D4, Dark Dreams Don't Die, which is Swery 65's brand new game for the PS4. Yeah. So it's really cool that even though the system kind of was obscure and a lot of the people that we're going to be talking about have very little information about them, this guy has kind of had a blossoming career and became very successful in the video game yeah. industry. Like, for example, he, 
he's actually not only a composer, he does, he's a designer and a writer. Like he, yeah, art, uh, uh, event planning, directing, yeah. he does just about everything. Crystal Chronicles Ring of Fates, he designed it and, uh, and co-wrote it with Miwa Shoda. So it's really interesting to see somebody be able to jump from com composition of music to the designing and writing portions of the game. Yeah, very multi-talented guy. He worked for uh, Exact. He actually helped found Exact, which is one of the famous Japanese portmanteaus. It stands for Excellent Application Create Team. <laughs> and it was a small Japanese development studio created around 1990 by Saigusa, Kazuki Toyota, Toshimitsu Odara, and Hiroshi Yamamoto, who is actually also a co-composer of the next game we've got coming up. Exact produced a number of action titles for the Sharp 68000 and also became kind of integrated into Sony Computer Entertainment later on and did a number of first-party titles for Sony. The next game we're going to be going into, also composed by Sagusa, is Aqualess. And Mike's actually had a little experience playing this game. Aqualess. Aqualess, Aqualess. I don't know how to pronounce a it. Aqualess. Aqualese. Yeah, this song was also co-composed by Hiroshi Yamamoto. It's basically this mech game. There were a lot of mech games for the Sharp X68000 where you play as a giant robot or a giant mech. Yeah. Um, and so this one, you, I guess, I guess you could say that one button controls. It's like a grappling hook. Yeah, similar about the grappling you know. hook uh, that you would use to like advance in the levels and stuff, and then the other attack button. So there's only two two attack buttons or two buttons that you could use other than for the most D games. Yeah. Right. Right. And so the other button is kind of your actual at uh, attack mm -hmm. itself. So pretty cool. Yeah, you can switch weapons within the game. You can get guns. You can get this weird kind of harpoon that shoots out of your arm and then comes back to you and you can kind of swing it around. We were kind of having fun with, <laughs> with playing the game. This particular song reminds us a lot of Super EDF, the boss music that we played during the yeah. Shoot'em Ups episode. So it kind of starts off this kind of almost generic but still cool sounding uh, Japanese arcade FM synth music right. and then goes into this really kicking bass solo. Yeah, it's the bass solo kind of takes over in a lot of ways. Yeah, because then the, the standard melody starts playing over the bass it's, solo. It's again. very. It's a good song. You know, playing it at my house when we were having difficulty trying to figure out where to go. I think after like the seventh repetition, it got a little old. Yeah. But it took that long to get old, so that probably yeah. says something good about well, it. Well, I mean, the, the fact that we were having such difficulty with trying to figure out where to go was kind of mind-numbing. So the mu it, it's it's kind of. It's kind of good that the music was there because it, it kind of made things a little bit more enjoyable for the game, but then at the same time it made it a little bit more frustrating because yeah. we're trying to figure out where to go and you've got this, you know, like song playing in the background and you're just like, oh my god, I just want to turn this song off for just a second. At least you the know. backgrounds are pretty yeah. in this game. Oh yeah. So uh, this game's actually, it's kind of unique in that it has over eight levels of parallax scrolling in the background, um, both. Uh, above you and below you. There's like the second level's like in a big warehouse. So you see on the roof like all the um, like the red beams across the roof. They're like all scrolling. Right. Like really, the sense of depth is really really cool in this game. It's kind of unique for that. Yeah, the graphics were impressive. I remember being really impressed with them. The animation on the arms when they're moving and stuff. Really, yep. Really cool. A lot of fun to play and a lot of fun to watch. So let's get into it. This is called Aqualess. This is stage one. And the song is called Shut It Up. Shut it up. Shut it up. Don't shut up. Listen. Listen. Shut it up. Shut it down. Shut it all around. And listen.
Welcome back to the Pixel Tune Shopping Network. Mickey and Wink have some more great features to tell you about. Take it away, Mickey! Welcome back, everyone. Say, Wink, didn't you say during the break that you wanted to see some of the games for this thing? <laughs> you bet your took aside did. What do you have for me, Mickey? You're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey, Mickey? Well, the first game we have is a shoot-em-up called Bast Ordo. It's a vertical shooter with a special feature called Bullet Matrix, where you can slow down time and space around you, allowing you to blast away enemies in the game while avoiding an onslaught of bullets. Wait, so it's not in the game that time slows down, but in real life? Yes! The Sharp X68 Million puts a 10-foot bubble around its players, altering time and space within that bubble. You may be wondering, how is that even possible? Well, do you remember our grandparents talking about something called the 1990s? There was a system called, like, I don't know, the Surga Murga Genocide or something? Well, they had this feature in it called Blast Processing. Sharp took advantage of the patents they now own during the 2025 buyout of that Sega company or whatever and created a vast processing. Something to take us into the light year of 20XX. Sounds impressive, Mickey. But wait, aren't there more games that take advantage of a vast processing? There are over 4,000 shooters, both vertical and horizontal, for you to enjoy on this system, all of which use a vast processing. Vast Ordo sounds pretty cool. But that game where you play is a chicken that you told me about. Priceless. You must be referring to Slick Chicky, Wink. Slick Chicky is a puzzle game where you control a chicken named Phil, who's got to solve a cubed puzzle or else his family of chickens gets sold to the fast food mafia. The controls are tight and responsive, and the sound effects are wacky in all the right places. One more for me, Mickey Mac. What else you got for me? In this epic RPG, you play a stunning redhead, Alexia, a woman who is out for revenge for her father's death by the hands of the evil Oxcorp. She takes her martial arts training and becomes Lexi the Death Ninja. With the help of her friends Pirate Billy, an alien buddy named Fillmore, Sax the Magical Cat, and heavyweight wrestler Umu, she traverses an entire world in a turn-based RPG experience. Wow, that sounds ultra hot! Well, that's all the time we have for the Sharp X 68 million. Remember, kids, get your credit card's permission. I mean, get your parents' permission before using their credit card for purchases. Give us a call at the number you see on the screen. Remember, that's 011-899-88199-9119-7253. Thank you for returning to the podcast. Oh, oh. <laughs> that cool little number was from Mad Stalker, Full Metal Force, originally released in 1994 for the X68000, and then ported to all sorts of other consoles. But this was the original soundtrack and the original version of the Super, game. Super NES never got it. No, it did come out on the FM Towns and the PC Engine CD-ROM, and then there were later versions that came out for PlayStation. PlayStation version is actually really good. Gameplay is very similar. This would totally be an awesome Super Nintendo game. Yeah. I was really impressed with the graphics on this game. All the neon signs and stuff that they had up. There was a lot of cool background elements. Very cool yeah. animation on the background. All the lights and stuff that were up. It's really cool. So this track was stage three. I love the hi-hat rolls. Just like, it just adds such a nice little flavor. Yeah, the drum programming the was really tracks. cool. Yeah, it was really good. And this track was composed by Keishi Yonao. Keishi Yonao. Yes. Yonao. Keishi Yonayo. We'll go with that. Yes. He first started on the MSX and then joined Phil in Cafe 
to work on Asuka 120% Burning Fest. The Asuka 100% uh, games are horizontal shooter games starring a little witch on a broom. And shooters, I might have right? Played that. Yeah, they're horizontal shooters. Didn't that come out for the Sharp X68000? Yeah, there was a version on the yeah. X68000, but also on tons and tons of other right. uh, systems as well. There was another game called and, like Cotton. Wasn't there a co yeah. uh, Cotton? And that was also pretty much the same concept. Yes. Of a little girl on a on a bridge room. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know too much about that series. I don't know if those two series are related. Yeah. Or if it's just a rename of an Asuka. I'm sure one oh, of maybe. our listeners will be able to tell us whether that is the same. Because there's also an X68000 cane called Anazuken Cha Cha Cha, which also stars a witch on a broom. That's right. That was in the Game Sack video as well. Right. Although I discovered that on my own before that. But that is not related to the Asuka 120% franchise, so... I love cute ups You know, but I don't know why they're always witches on brooms. I guess it's just really the only kind of thing you can come up with when you're trying I to just, get a cute girl to fly somewhere and shoot things. I just love cute ups They're just so much fun, and the graphics are always so silly and bouncy and yeah. happy, and... I'd say Parodius is probably my favorite oh, cute-em-up yeah. series. Yeah. Night Stalker is a beat-em-up where you play as a robot. Or mech, I guess you could say. Yes. And the the size of the enemies that you face is actually really interesting because sometimes you'll be fighting these like little tiny tiny guys, and you'll be like destroying cars and and people just going by, uh, which I always thought was kind of a little bit messed up that you're going through just blowing through everything and you're destroying these helpless innocent cars, and uh, so and then you'll face off against these much larger bad guys. So it was interesting because in beat em ups you don't really see a lot of that. I mean most guys are either super big or they're your size. You yes. never really face off against anybody that's like super tiny or small. Yeah, so uh, I've got a little quote here from one of the users from my forum thread. He goes by the name 1983 Parrothead. And he says, Yu Yu Hakusho for the Mega Drive was programmed by Masaki Ukyo, who goes on to program Guardian Heroes, while Asuka 120% was by Masutoshi Imaizumi, who went on to make Panzer Bandit. Both people worked on Panzer Bandit's older brother, the 1994 beat-em-up Mad Stalker. And according to former treasure designer Tetsuhiko Kikuchi, Mad Stalker Full Metal Force and Capcom's Alien vs. Predator arcade game were the main inspiration for Guardian Heroes design. Oh, I love that arcade game. So... Alien vs. Predator was awesome. Yes. So, the first thing I thought, and this, how this kind of ties in, is the, the first time I played this game, the Mad Stalker, without knowing anything about it, as I was kind of fighting through it, I'm like, this combat feels really familiar. And I was I kind of totally racking my now. brain trying to figure out where it was from. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this feels a lot like Guardian Heroes. Yeah. And then the little guys started coming up, and I was like, wow, this is a lot like the little guys that you have to shake off in Gunstar Heroes. So I started making that kind of treasure connection. Mm -hmm. So I researched the the designers and the composers behind the game, and I'm like, okay, so this game does have a link with Treasure later on, so this is kind of one of the precursors to the Treasure Gunstar Hero Guardian Hero right. series of games. So it's really cool kind of seeing where the ideas for these games were born from and how they kind of came to that conclusion that this is the kind of gameplay they wanted to do. Yeah, so Mad Stark was really fun. I, I had a lot of fun. I'd say, actually, this is probably my favorite game for the Sharp X68000 from the very limited time that I had with the system in its games. Yeah, I agree. It's very playable, very fun. There are little nods to sci-fi, as you were saying. Um, Kaneda's bike from Akira, right. the anime series, or the anime, um, is kind of in the foreground in the first stage. Right. A lot of the bosses look like they have that kind of rounded 
top with the little legs that come out very similar to uh, the companion robots from Ghost in the Shell. Right. Tongue-in-cheek nods to different sci-fi right. series here and there. The composer, as we were talking about, Keishi Ganayo, worked on the Asuka 120 Burning Fest series. He also worked on a visual novel series called Daisarei, also Sprak Zathustra in Japan, which uh, was very popular for its soundtracks. He did a lot of cool stuff. All right, then. Yeah. Mad Stalker. All right, so then we're going to move on to our next track, which is from Super Real Mahjong P4. P, Roman numeral 4. Yes. Not PIV. <laughs> yes. I don't think I thought uh, Super Real Mahjong Piv. Yes. would be a good name for that. Correct. Yeah. Right. So this game is part of the real Mahjong series, in case you didn't I figure really that out. I really like playing Mahjong games, so this is fun. Good. I'm okay, I'm okay with this. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. No, Mahjong games are a lot of fun. There's one, a really good one for the Saturn, uh, which is under the name Shanghai. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, no see, well, so Mahjong, you got it a little bit backwards. Mahjong and Shanghai, Shanghai are the same thing, aren't no, they? No, Mahjong and Shanghai are two different things. What? You oh. play Shanghai with Mahjong tiles, okay. but it's more of a matching game. Oh, okay. Where you get like a shape made of stacked Mahjong tiles on oh, the screen. Oh, then I don't like Mahjong. And you have to match them. <laughs> Mahjong itself is more of a card game mixed with dominoes, except you... There's matching involved. I don't really know enough about it to really kind of explain what yeah. Mahjong is. I've, I've tried to understand it a couple times, but... I always thought they were the same. No, the instructions I've gotten have been very kind of like broken English. Mm. I really need somebody to kind of... Did you, did you ask somebody and they spoke in broken English? No, no, no. The, like on, on the web. Oh. Like the, you know, it was basically somebody who was Japanese trying to explain how to play it and couldn't. So if anybody out there knows how to play Mahjong... My girlfriend knows how to play. You know how to play Mahjong? My, my girlfriend knows how to play. Well, special guest star Patty McCarthy, <laughs> my girlfriend, knows how to play Mahjong. Why don't you come over here and tell us how to play Mahjong? She's covered in paint because we've been painting. Wow, that's a lot of paint. Why don't you, you come over here and not touch anything ever and tell us about Mahjong? It's in the shape of dominoes and there's pictures on every tile. And then you have to collect, you have to eliminate the tiles through the out, but if, it, if it's stuck inside, you can't eliminate the tile until... No, she's talking you... about Shanghai. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's Shanghai. Shanghai. He's played with Mahjong tiles, but Mahjong is actually a completely different game. Thanks, Patty, for nothing. I, I play it online all the time. It's I know. called Mahjong. The, well, yeah, but it's not really called Mahjong. It's, it's, called, it's called Shanghai. I made the same mistake. We were literally just talking about this. I was like, I love Shanghai. That's why I was laughing so hard. No, I know Mahjong. <laughs> oh man, that was fun. Oh boy. So, <laughs> so evidently we're not being super real about super real Mahjong. No. Today. We need to be super real about oh, super Mahjong. Right. This is a game where you have Mahjong tiles and you play not Shanghai. <laughs> God. <laughs> I can't do it, man. Anyways, uh, games in the Super Real Mahjong series have come out in the arcade and from everything from Turbo Graphics to 3DO to SNES to the Saturn Neo Geo Pocket Color, Mobile, um, everything really. Yeah, the uh, it's the a classic game. Current versions have come out on Android, iPad, and iPhone. Yeah. So it's really kind of one of those. It's Japan's monopoly. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> or solitaire, or whatever yeah, you want to call it. Yeah, solitaire. That works. The reason I picked this song is because a we needed to break from lots of these action titles that are Shooters. just kind of you know 
shooter make action pump you up kind of games this is more of a I think it reminds me of more of like a comedy anime series title theme what's really cool about the lead synth is that it sounds a lot like a saxophone the way they bend the notes and the way the tone yeah the, no the notes the notes bending is really cool but seriously guys if anybody knows a good instruction set on how to play mahjong I'd love to know so please link us to it on the on the Facebook page that would be really cool well, we may as well talk about the composer real quick before we get to the song, so tell me a little bit about Daisuke Morishima. Daisuke Morishima doesn't have too many songs under his belt. However, he started off with 1943 Kai, which is a really good soundtrack. Shooter, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, part of the Capcom. 1940X series. Yeah. D was that developed by Capcom, that whole series? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think that, I think later on it got moved over to Rising. Then he also worked on Koryun, Child of Dragon. Summer Carnival 92. Rekka. No, this is a different what? Summer Carnival 92. What? This is Summer Carnival 92. All's a dick. <laughs> A-L-Z-A-D-I-C-K. Really? All's a dick. That's the name of the... All's a dick. Not... I don't get it. This is a Summer Carnival 92 game created so, for the TurboGrafx CD. So, okay, so... Not the NES. So there weren't like a bunch of titles that... I always thought that the whole thing with the Summer Carnival 92 was like, there were a bunch of developers that made a bunch of games and they all like submitted them to the Summer Carnival 92 and no. like the winner would be actually made or something no, like that. No, I don't know, you know, honestly, because also Dick was made by... <laughs> God, we're still like five years old right here. It's a it's a vertically scrolling sci-fi shoot-em-up designed for Naxat Soft's Summer Carnival of 1992, a game competition similar to Hudson's Caravan That's tournament. what I thought, yeah. So the game, and which we're actually going to be talking about the Caravan Tournament later on in the show, so this All is right actually then. kind of poignant. Um, so this is, yeah, this is one of the games that was created for this tournament that was the same tournament that our first title from the uh, Shoot'em Ups episode, right. Retta, was created for. Right so up. he worked on that. I mean, we're not playing a song from this game because it wasn't for the X68000, but was this composer game. worked on the soundtrack for Alza Dick. We'll have to we'll have to we'll have to play a song from this title later on. But he also worked on Air Zonk, which is actually a really good soundtrack. Air Zonk. Air Zonk. Turbo Graphics? Uh yes. Yeah. 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 And then his most recent work was <laughs> he did sub programming for the twisted tale of Spike McFang. So let's get on with <laughs> Super Real Mahjong P4 Piv. from Daisuke Morishima, again, on the 68,000.
Welcome back. That was from Superstar Shooter 91. That didn't sound like FM Synth at all. That was really cool. I really was digging that track. Why doesn't it sound like FM Synth, Michael? Because it's not FM Synth. Correct. It is from the Roland SC88 MIDI. Very good. You are learning some stuff. Get a gold sticker. (laughs) I wanted to kind of demonstrate how awesome music could be, you know, not using the internal YM2151 chip. Even though I'm an FM synth fan, and I have kind of talked down about some songs sounding too MIDI sounding now and again, coupled with the right composition and the right kind of, of MIDI module, you can make a song sound really, really rocking. Hey, there was some really amazing MIDI on the Super Nintendo. I mean, it was that's all they used was MIDI. Yeah, it was MIDI style. It wasn't yeah. exactly MIDI, but right. I, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, so this one just sounds very full, very rich, excellent composition. Unfortunately, this is from a game called Super Star Shooter 91, and although there's no... Is that the unfortunate part? No. No. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's no documented composer. For the game. Mm. There's there's one page that has some information. It's from the developers of the game themselves, but it's in Japanese, so the Google American or English translation is, is very shoddy, and they mention something about music from Pomp the Bass. Pomp? Pomp. P-O-M-P, the <laughs> bass, which I guess is a play on Pump the Bass. Like Pomp and or Circumstance? Or just like a bad English translation like we were talking about at the beginning of the show. I don't exactly know if Pomp the Bass was the individual and or group responsible for the music from this game, or if it was actually the Dot Map Brothers who programmed the game, which has the music has been attributed to them. In any case, the music is really cool. The game itself is a caravan-style shooter named so for the Hudson Caravan game Festival. competitions, right. festivals, whatever you that want to call it. was the we were talking about before. Right, where either game companies or just individual homebrew programmers would come together and submit these games. And the games basically, at least in the Caravan series, and somewhat in the Rekka series too, you'd get a limited amount of time to produce the highest score possible in the game. And so the winner of that competition would get like a special gold cartridge or signed swag or, you know, something cool would come out of it. But that stuff's worth worth a lot nowadays. I believe it, man. Mm -hmm. Definitely. This was a track called Conflict. Yes. And yeah, track was called Conflict. (laughs) It appears in the game. I haven't actually played played to the point in the game where this this stage plays because I, I guess you have to unlock like the full mode after going through the two and five minute modes so often and I haven't gotten a chance to actually hear this song be played. The song we heard was with the help of the Roland Sound Canvas 88 MIDI module. Now this MIDI module didn't come out until 1994, which is a full three years after the game had come out. So originally it was written for the SC55 MIDI module, which was, you know, although very similar, being a lot older of a module didn't have the richness and fullness. Right. So this this actual piece was put out by the guys who developed the game in MP3 form on their website. That's cool. Just going to show you how, being a computer, you can kind of retrofit this SC88 module to an older game with an older system and have it sound just really, really awesome. So it's still true VGM in the sense that it's using the same instruction set directly out of the game. It's just using a brand new MIDI module to kind of breathe new life Make into it sound fuller. older music. Right. Yeah. So it's just really, really cool. 
The game itself is very cool, very hard, very fast, kind of like Rekka was. You collect these little red orbs as you go, and as you collect them, you start shooting in more directions, and you're... You're, yeah, you're like shooting everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Like, basically diagonal, forward, up, down, you know, downwards, diagonal. I mean, you were going in yep. every and possible you, way. And your enemies come from all directions, so yeah. you kind of need that. If you get hit by an enemy, though, you lose one of those orbs, and lose one of those shooting abilities. And if you power yourself up to the maximum, what happens when you hit a red orb is that it basically clears all the enemies on the screen. Okay, so it's like a kill all, like a so like the blue orbs in Gradius. Yeah, exactly. So what what happens is a lot of these will appear near bosses. So if you're fully powered up and you get to a boss and you hit one of these red orbs, you can kill the boss in one oh, shot. Oh wow! Which basically means you can get farther in the game because cool. you've got a time limit. Yeah. If you're not fully powered up, then you basically have to beat the boss just you know by shooting at it and wearing it down over time. Right. Takes a lot more time, decreases your score, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, if you eventually lose a guy by getting hit too much, there's a really long time between losing your guy and starting over again. So mm -hmm. that even kind of detracts from your score too. So it's kind of built to be played through perfectly to get a really good score. So it's. A lot of cool stuff behind the game. Really yeah. liked it. All the music in this game is very dance metal, I guess yeah. you could say. It's very just super fast, super speedy, just high energy. It's really what the game was stuff. built for, so oh, yeah. it matches Absolutely. it perfectly. It's perfect, yeah. No, I agree. We're cool. going to be going into a game called Genocide 2, which is the sequel to... Genocide 1. Wow! All right. Let's do math here on Pixel Tunes Radio. Sorry, that was kind of condescending. <laughs> But I don't like you, so we can keep moving. <laughs> you heard it here first, no. Pixel Tunes Radio people. Listeners? Listeners. Pixel dudes and dudettes. There's no girls listening to this show. Come on now. My wife listens to this show. Your wife's a dude. That's we already right. established that last episode. This is very unfortunate. God. Uh, this is from stage one, boss level. Yes. So Genocide 2, it's very similar to Mad Stalker in the sense that you are a fighting mech robot with agilities and powers beyond that of mere mortal men. This one has an incredible intro sequence. The graphics are just mind-blowing. For something that mainly looks like a Genesis when you're playing most of the games, the colors pop right out of the screen. It's super high resolution. It's fully animated. It needs one full floppy disk to run the, the opening intro animation. You so need you basically, one full floppy disk to run your intro I'll animation. give you a floppy also disk. Whoa. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you, you put the opening floppy in into the, the system, and you basically just watch the intro, which is all located on this one disc, and then it tells you to take the disc out and put another disc in to actually play the game. Like, you that's watched, how much memory this You watch the movie, now play the game. Yeah, exactly. So, again, this has a lot of, like, Akira influences in it. There's lots of neon signs everywhere. The characters in the game look very much like that, that mid-90s anime style. The game was made by Zoom, who's also responsible for making the Super Nintendo and X68000 shooter Phalanx. So a Phalanx. lot of Phalanx, Phalanx, whatever you want to call it. Phalanx if you're nasty. Yeah. A lot of the enemies 
look very similar to enemies that you would come across in Phalanx. So I think some of the art direction team was very much the same. The whole soundtrack, this was a really hard soundtrack to pick from because every single title in this soundtrack just really shines. It's really awesome stuff. But this one really stood out to me because it's got those like three staccato hits that go all the way through it. And then it rolls into this guitar solo that I was telling Mike before sounds kind of like an Arabian flute. <laughs> yeah. Mixed with a guitar. Like it's really, really cool. It was like cool. dead on when yeah. you said it and I heard it and I was like, oh wow, yeah, yeah. No, you're totally right. Really nice bass in it and then really awesome, very complex uh, drum programming. And then the song kind of ends on a sustained FM synth note. And then the hi-hats pick back up again and it goes into the next loop. I just, the whole the whole way through the song, I was just kind of jaw dropped. I really, really like the way this one plays out. The music was composed by Hideyuki Shimono and also Naoyuki Kimura. Not too much information on either one of them. I know that Shimono also wrote the music for Zero Divide on the PlayStation, and that was a really fun fighting game. He also did Overtake for the X68000, which is also on the GameSack video, if you care to watch it. On the video itself went over the soundtrack on that game and said that it was really awesome too. So there you have it. Not too much information on those guys. So let's get on with it. This is the level one boss music from Genocide 2.
welcome back. That was Night Arms, the Hybrid Framer. <laughs> Don't you mean the Hybrid Flamel? No, maybe the Hybrid Flamer? Flamer? Flamer. I yeah. have no Fla- idea. Flamer? Again, this is the English that we were talking about before. <laughs> the Americanized title would be Night Arms, the Hybrid Framer. Or so we suspect. Or so we suspect, correct. Mostly because this track, which is I think is pretty epic, this was a good song. It takes place during the introduction to the game before the title screen. Basically shows like a, a battle scene in space and then shows a view from the cockpit and all the lights lighting up. And then the, the, the mech flies out into space in kind of a 3D mode and then starts flying through space and different pictures pop up about like the war that's happening and how the game is going to, you know, your storyline behind it. And it's just really, really cool. I really enjoyed watching it. We'll probably put up a video on Facebook. That might be cool to have some visuals to go along with the music. The game itself is really neat. It starts off in a behind the mech view, similar to Afterburner, where guys are kind of flying at you. Then you end up flying across the surface of a planet and the, the, the planet's surface below you looks kind of like the moon. It's got all craters and stuff, but it's moving in kind of like it scales at you. So kind of similar to F-Zero on the Super Nintendo. And you get to a door and you go in the door and then it turns into a side-scrolling game. Like a horizontal so it kind of seamlessly shooter. flows right into a, a, a horizontal right. shooter. And it doesn't auto-scroll. You have a button which works in either mode that turns you 180 degrees. So you can move left or right and shoot left or right. Even in the behind the mech view, when enemies are coming up from behind you, it'll flash a warning on the screen. And you can swivel the camera 180 degrees, keep flying backwards, but then shooting enemies that are behind you. So kind of like Panzer Dragoon, right. I guess on a rails kind of deal, but you can only do front and back instead of shooting at the sides. Except you can well. move in this game as far as like going left and right or up. You can move yourself around the screen. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. But you can move your dragon and Panzer Dragoon, but yeah, you didn't have that much freedom to, yeah. to kind of swoop around like I've that. I've only played Orta very, 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 very little. Mm-hmm. I have the game. I just... Uh, when I think on rails, I think Star Fox, so it's right. just because of my limited... It is kind of more similar to Star Fox, I guess, you know, where you can, move, you can move to the corners of right. the screen, you know, yeah. so kind of like that. The only difference with this game is because everything is sprite-based, it's really hard to tell how close things are to you, so it really ups that challenge problems, factor. You mean? Like depth perception well, problems? Yeah, figuring out like how big the bullet needs to be before it's aligned with your character. Right. So it could be coming diagonally across the screen, but you don't know if you need to be out of its way at what point, you know. So you end right. up getting hit a lot. You have a pretty large health bar to help you out with that, but That's still, good. I found it pretty difficult to play. Yeah. So the track was called One Voice in the Cosmic Fugue. Which I think is an awesome title. That is epic. Yeah, yeah, epic. it's pretty cool. So Night Arms was created by Arsis Software, and they later went on to be called Cyberhead. Now, the composer of the game, Toshia Yamanaka, after Night Arms was released in 1989. I guess he took kind of a little hiatus, but then in 1999 and 2000, wrote the music for Sin and Punishment and Bangayo oh. for Treasure. Okay, okay. Sin and Punishment on the N64 has an amazing soundtrack. Yes, and it does. And Bangayo is also pretty good, too. So he's had some good titles under his belt. Word. Yeah, that's really all I got for this game. It's it's really fun. The uh, music is, like I said, kind of epic. The actual in-game music is a little more action-oriented than this, but I felt since we had so many action titles that we should probably play something that's a little more whimsical. Not whimsical, but a little Symphonic. more... Symphonic. Yeah, a little more moody, I guess, is the good word for it. Yeah, I mean, when you're listening to the song in the beginning, it kind of starts off 
in a way that you're like, all right, I know where this is going. And then all of a sudden it's just like, what? Yeah. And it's yeah, going right. a different sustained way. Sustained notes. Right, right, right. A lot of cool stuff. Which brings us into our next game, Phalanx, which you might remember as a shoot 'em up from the Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo. Correct. So this was by Zoom, who also did Genocide 2. The difference with Phalanx on the X68000 is that the soundtrack is from a different composer and is an entirely new soundtrack. Now, on the I, Super Nintendo. I don't know why they did it. I don't know. That's weird. Um, I, Maybe because of the FM synth? I don't know. I, I mean, there could have plenty of... It, but... Yeah, there have been plenty of FM synth to, to SBC 700 conversions True. out there. But they always don't sound as, as good, I would say. I mean, like, if you look at Sparkster, yeah. that's a good example of a game that went from this... Genesis to the SNES, and it didn't sound as good. True, true. You know, you know. A lot of times, some stuff gets lost in translation, especially when you're using those, you know, extended FM sweep notes. They don't really translate as well because the Super Nintendo can't really do that as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I can kind of understand why that that might have happened. Yeah, a lot of bass stuff doesn't translate as well, I think, too. Yeah, the Genesis and the Yamaha synth. Yeah, it's much more fuzzy sounding. It's yeah, it's 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 got this like I don't want to say reverb, but just like this very deep sound that the Super Nintendo didn't have. I think Super Nintendo bass was more like it's, it's more like slap bassy. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, and I it's, think because also with the Super Nintendo because they're using samples. Right. You know, at a mid-range the samples sound fantastic, right. but as you go higher and as you go lower, yeah. the integrity of those samples start to kind of disintegrate a little bit. Whereas on an FM synth, you can really go high and really go you low. You can, that's true. And it might not be as accurate as high and low, but it doesn't kind of break down as much as, as yeah. it would have on the Super Nintendo. No, the Super so. Nintendo did really good with mid-range stuff, but then Definitely with the Genesis. I mean, you can go high, you can go low. I think the higher stuff typically sounds a little bit worse. Yeah. In in a lot of ways, just because it gets too tinny. Right. But the low end, like grab, like grovelly sounds like a bass. growl. Yeah, yeah. It sounds awesome. Really good. So this was pretty clear in these types of tracks with the Sharp X68000. Kenichi Kamio worked on Phalanx for the X68000. A lot of games under his belt. He did some stuff for the NES. Um, he did Bubble Bobble 2, he did uh, Cayman Rider on the Game Boy, Super Chase HQ for the Game Boy, so, you know, not just X68000 stuff, he, he went on and did a lot of stuff for the more popular systems as well. Um, he also wrote the music for Neo Drift out in the arcade, which had a really good soundtrack, I really enjoyed that one. So, you know, why a different composer took over for the Super Nintendo version, like I said, you know, only only Zoom knows, basically. <laughs> I, I will say that both soundtracks are fantastic, so right. I'm almost kind of happy that the, the video game music listeners won out because we got two great soundtracks instead of one. So mm -hmm. this one is from the Stage 1 Assault level, and uh, it's just really good, really kind of that pump-you-up, shoot-em-up music level, very nice, tight lead synth with a good melody to it. Pump it up. Pump it up. Pump that bass. <laughs> so let's check it out. This is Phalanx from Kenichi Kamio.
evening, ladies and gentlemen. gentlemen <laughs> that little piece of work was from a game called Chojin and it was not, kind of a commercially released game it was only available in vending machines in Japan so not at all commercially released yeah I guess <laughs> I mean there were a lot of what we call doujin games uh, for the x68000 and basically you might be familiar with that if you're into like uh, Japanese manga or something like that. Basically, it's fan-created stuff. So, like, you know, Americans have fan fiction on the internet. This is where fans would get together and create a game based around an anime or just their own creations and then publish it themselves. So yeah. this is this is kind of like rides the line between a commercially released game and a doujin game. It's an overhead. It feels and looks very similar to Smash TV. Okay. So you're running around the overhead screen. Overhead shooter. Yeah, you've got a, a flamethrower, and the levels at first are very simple. It's only two or three guys on the screen. kind of eases you into the gameplay. Basically, when you destroy all the enemies, you go on to the next level. But the cool thing is it, it's a relatively late game in the X68000's life, so it uses really, really crazy samples. As you can tell in the music, there's all sorts of vocal samples going on. And so when you get hit by an enemy, you, you know, you're wearing this giant cybernetic flamethrower on your back. Smoke starts coming out of your backpack and you start flying around the screen. Like you can control what direction you go, but you can't fire anymore. Like your backpack's exploding. Right. And then you start screaming at the top of your lungs and then finally yeah. explode. So it's got a lot of comedy elements to it. It's it's a lot of fun. It's like in Mario 64 when you accidentally step on lava and you're like, oh, exactly, yeah. exactly. You Except really it's like control. even faster and yeah. you finally explode. That's funny. Or in the Ninja Turtles game when it's like, my toes, my, my toes, toes, my toes. Um, this is one of the few games that actually allows you to hook up like seven different types of MIDI interface devices to play That's music through, from different PSG cards to the MT32 um, MIDI device. So you can get all sorts of different crazy sounds and music. Unfortunately, I don't have access to any of that hardware, so I can't get 
one of those, you know, songs. If I can find anything on the net, I'll definitely put some up over the next two weeks on the Facebook page. But this is the YM2151 only. If you can't find it, then the music. you let us down. I'll have to so. make my own, man. Yeah. yeah. I would you make love, your own hardware. I would love to have my own X68000. But they like. Cool. I, there was there was one on eBay. I was just trying to get pricing for it, just to figure out, you know, if I could actually get like one. If it was doable. The only one on eBay was twenty five hundred bucks, and it was like another hundred and eighty for shipping or something because mm-hmm. it was coming directly from Japan. So keep in mind, though, the games are also really expensive too. I mean, like the only Sharp X sixty eight thousand game that I have, and this is just because I'm a Castlevania collector, is Akamajo Dracula X sixty eight thousand, which I know we didn't play on the show, but. We've played it before in the past, like at least twice. Yeah. And it has an excellent soundtrack, really great game, and also was ported to PlayStation as the Castlevania Chronicles. But the point I'm trying to make is that I paid 150 for that game. Yeah. And it is a big name title, it's Castlevania, but it's pretty common for a Sharp X68000 game. All yeah. these other games are really obscure. Yeah, the more obscure ones I've seen for like 30 or 40 bucks. They're on regular floppy disks, which is, I mean, True. that media is becoming increasingly harder to find nowadays, mm-hmm. but there are ways to, you know, put the, the, the ROMs that you can find on the internet onto those floppies and at least check the games out on the real hardware if you didn't mm-hmm. happen to own a system. Of course, the, the cool thing would be definitely to have the real games with the real mm-hmm. boxes and all that stuff, but floppies do degrade over time, too. True. It almost makes sense to back them up because mm-hmm. you'd want to keep them to play them later on so well if you ever get one we at least have one game to play yes true we <laughs> rock out Akumajo Dracula yeah actually a really cool fact about that game is there is a hidden menu in that game mm-hmm. that allows you to play the music using MIDI yeah like yeah. multiple different channels of, of audio synth that you can yeah use. there were a couple yeah. different options for cool. that game too so some stuff that we didn't go over about the X68000 in this episode. There are a lot of really good arcade ports, which we kind of stayed away from because yeah. we can get we them to do original for other... Stuff. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. And the only time we really went to games that had different ports is if the music would sound really, really different. You know, if it was an X68000 game with a Genesis port, the music would sound very similar, so we didn't want to choose that. The stuff that we chose either had games that came out on CD that used, you know, full CD audio or Super Nintendo, which would sound very different from it. There's a really excellent port of Street Fighter 2, really excellent port of Final Fight. There was actually an adapter that Capcom made for Street Fighter 2 where you could hook up a Genesis 6-button controller Mm -hmm. or a Mega Drive 6-button controller, you'd be in Japan. So you could use a Genesis controller with the uh, the, the X68000 computer, which is pretty right, nice. Yeah. It doesn't cool. work with other games, unfortunately. You can only use it with the game specifically made for it, but mm-hmm. I'd love to be able to check something like that out someday. But anyways, yeah, if you guys like this episode, let us know. Maybe we'll do an X68000 Volume 2. There are a lot of other cool Japanese computer systems out there, like the PC88, the PC98. They all have their own cool FM chips in them. They all have their own cool selections of games for them, so we'd love to bring those songs and games to you in a future episode. We'd like to hear what you hear about this one, so please give us your comments. Comment on pixeltunesradio.com. You can directly tweet with us at pixeltunesradio on Twitter, or you can hang out on our Facebook page and give us some comments and some likes there. That's facebook.com slash pixeltunesradio. Also, don't forget to check us out on youtube.com forward slash dongled if you want the video portion. We'll post it with, as we usually do, with the episode 
so you'll be able to see it from there. You can also check it out on pixeltunesradio.com if you just want to go there for your if and and be all uh, ways to try to get at the podcast. Also want to give a shout out to Retro Junkies. They are awesome, and we are so fortunate to be part of their network. Yeah, there's some great stuff coming out of the Retro Junkies. Absolutely. Two Dudes and a Ness. Retro Obscura, of course, want to give a shout out to Aaron. Thank you for letting us use the excerpts from your interview. Always. For Cho Ran Shah. We also want to give a shout out to Pixelated Audio. They are a fellow group of podcasters who do video game music. Definitely worth checking out. They have a format a little bit different from ours, but I think if you enjoy our show, you'll definitely appreciate them. I want to give a little hi to Brian, who I've been talking with on Twitter quite a bit. Really knowledgeable guy, really cool dude. And uh, so we're looking forward to more episodes from them as well. Also, like to thank a, a guy I know named by the name of Earl. His name is Earl. Yeah. I'm not sure where you're going with this. Ah, uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. The movie references are lost on you, my friend. No, man. I, it's been so long since I've seen that. Oh, movie. I'm man. sorry. Oh, God. Such a disappointment. Anyways, my bad. I'll try to stew my disappointment over the next two weeks while we work on picking tracks for the wintry tracks episode yes so episode 25 will be all winter tracks all the time check that one out on new year's eve new year's eve yeah that's when it'll launch hopefully there'll be some snow on the ground here that'd be nice be in the winter mood for it and the california people would just have to suck it yeah Yeah. suck that snow yeah well no lack of snow suck that lack of snow yeah suck that rain that's right (laughs) what we'll see you in two weeks partners adios brochachos